to the Bible. Let's go to Romans chapter 10, all right? Romans chapter 10, we uh, started two weeks ago, I think, because Missions Conference um, had uh, a a break in there. But um, we started Romans 10 and uh, got through the first four verses. Um, And so I'll just do a, a, a very quick overview of the, the introduction part of the chapter and, and dealing with the main theme and the key verses, things of that nature. And then we're going to, uh, Lord willing, we'll get through verse 15 tonight. Maybe. Possibly. It's a lot of verses. But um, so let, let, let's look real quick. So Romans 10. And the background, the overall theme, when you read the entire chapter of Romans 10, the overall theme uh, is the message and method of salvation. It is the gospel. And uh, Romans uh, uh, chapter 10 is used uh, in in many verses, Uh, Romans um, uh, 10 and verse number 9 and 10, Romans 10, 13. Uh, all three of those are very, uh, very well used when, when given the Romans road uh, of the gospel. And then uh, the, when you look at later on in verse uh, number 14 and verse number 15 especially, uh, those are verses used many times when you're dealing with missions. And, and the whole point of someone being sent. Why? Because someone... Uh, needs to, to hear. Why? Because until they hear, what, what, how are they going to know what to believe? And so um, the, the layout of all of it um, begins to present, in verse 14 and 15 especially, begins to present the, the need of getting the gospel around the world and assisting and helping those uh, that need to go to get where God has called them to go to spread the gospel. And so 14 and 15, those two verses are often used very much in the area of uh, missions. Or may I even say being a soul winner. Someone who goes and you, you're not, the, the term soul winner, again, I, I try to be careful using things without making sure we fully explain because you might understand it, but others listening may not. Um, the term soul winner does not mean that we are actually doing the winning. But we are ones that are going to, to, to give the gospel. We are going to share uh, in hopes of winning one to the Lord, of hopes of leading someone to the Lord. And um, I guess as a, as a whole, you almost could say soul leading because that's what it, what it is. We are, we are merely taking the gospel to those who need to hear it with, uh, with hopes that when it uh, when it is heard, if, there, if one is in need of the gospel, they do not know Christ as their Savior, they will hear the message that we have taken, and they will be won over. They will be uh, convinced through the truth of God's Word of their need of a Savior because of their sinful condition. And, uh, and therefore, they are won over to the understanding and, and the acceptance of Christ being the only answer. And, and so that's what we, we talk about being a soul winner. We're talking about going and being one to, to win one to the Lord. And we don't, do, we don't do the winning, we just do the telling, but God is the one. I mean, I put it this way, God's the one who wins in the end. If 
folks will turn to him. And, uh, and so as we look at this, uh, we, we broke down the fact that the main thing being the message and the method of salvation, and we'll see that more here tonight. Uh, but then the key verses, I believe, and we're going to be hitting these verses tonight, but the key verses that would explain the chapter as a whole uh, would be verse 8 through verse number 10. As you see verse 8 through 10, again, uh, very familiar as a whole, but uh, verse 8 says, but, but what saith it? We'll find out in just a minute what he's talking about there. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with a heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. That pretty much sums up the main focus of chapter 10. Now, we're going to go in more detail tonight as we begin to look at this. Uh, but just in a quick rehearsal, I'll just tell you, I'm not going to go down all the, all the parts of it. But uh, verse 1 through verse 4 we already presented that, God, that Paul is once again showing his desire and his prayer, uh, when it, especially when it comes to Israel. Uh, and he starts that off right there. My heart's desire and prayer for God, to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And so Paul presents his, his heart's desire and his prayer in the first four verses especially. Now we come to verse number 5. Uh, down to verse number 13. Uh, this is an area where I, I basically entitle it, if you're, if you're kind of outlining, um, I would entitle this as the second, second uh, division of the chapter. It would be the message of the gospel. And this is verse 5 down through verse number 13, the, the basic, just a simple message of the gospel that Paul is presenting. We see this message in, in, uh, in dealing with verse number 5 through verse number 8, really breaks down a little bit further and, uh, and, and focuses in on two message comparisons, okay? Two message comparisons. There, there is a message that has already been in existence prior to the New Testament time frame or the New Covenant time frame. There has been a message that's already been, been present, and that is the message that Israel has gotten hung up on. It's the law. And they're stuck on the law. And we know that from all the different areas we've been looking at in the book of Romans. And so there's a message comparison that he gives here in, in verse number five uh, through verse uh, number eight. And uh, verse number five, especially, you see righteousness, which is of the law. Now, understand, we're not talking about the righteousness that man is actually needs, Paul is once again reiterating what he's already taught, and that is there is a form of righteousness in the minds of, of Jewish individuals uh, that is accomplished by keeping the law. And it is, may I say, it is the same thing today, it's just in a, in a different mindset to a degree, uh, but people still think today that they can produce an acceptable righteousness by doing enough good. That's what 
the, the, the Israelites, that's what the, the Jews there that Paul was writing to, especially and talking to, he was trying to get them to understand, you're hung on the message of righteousness that comes by the law. But here, here's what he says about it. Look at verse number five. He says, for Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law. Here is the message of the righteousness which is of the law, keeping the law. That the man which doeth those things shall live by them. Oh, what's he saying? He's just simply um, bringing about again and re-saying again the truth that the righteousness of the law is only found by constantly keeping and never failing of any part of the law. If you're going to rely on the righteousness you can gain by your works, you have to understand that if you break any part of the law of works, then you have broken all of it. Therefore, any man trying to live and gain righteousness according to the law that Moses had given or the idea of gaining righteousness before God through my works you will have to keep them consistently without fail from beginning to end. You can't mess up. You can't slip. You can't. You have to live by them nonstop. And if you fail once, you failed all. And so what he's saying is, what is the message of righteousness through the law? He that's going to trust in the righteousness of man found in the law, that man which doeth those things shall live by them. It's the only hope you have is to keep doing them and never stop and never fail, even at the last single moment. By, by the way, when you, when you look at anybody that deals with salvation by works or, by the way, the keeping of your salvation by works, what you have is a, uh, a fear that in my last dying moments, I, I don't want to die in a sudden type scenario because if I have a wrong thought before I die, then all my good works are gone and they're done and I, I, I lose my salvation in that minute or, or I, I, I lose the opportunity to have my salvation in that one minute just before I died and it's over, I didn't have a chance to get it right. What he's saying is, if you're going to live by the hope of righteousness through the law, then you're going to have to live all the way to the end and never mess up. Now, let's just look at the obvious truth concerning man. Have you ever known anyone, or can you look in the mirror and find anyone who can keep all of the right and godly things without ever messing up? No. Therefore, what does the message of righteousness through the works of the law, through man doing good enough to earn it, what does it actually give us? It gives us no hope. Because the law, again, was not meant to to show us how to have righteousness. The law was to show us that we could never earn it. Because no matter how hard we try, we're going to fail. Therefore, righteousness, true righteousness, the gospel, God's righteousness given to man has to come some other way. 
So the message in comparison here, the message of righteousness by the law, you got to live it and you can't fail it. Now, the message on the other hand of a righteousness which is of faith is seen in the next couple of verses. It says right here in verse number six, but the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. So you say, wait a second, I'm, I'm kind of confused. Wait on, he's saying this, that righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Now, before he gets, that, that's where you go to uh, verse number eight, the very first part. You could actually skip verse, uh, the, the, bottom, the second half of verse six and all of verse seven and do this. You could say, but the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. But what saith it? So it says, righteousness by, that is by faith speaketh in this way. So what does it say? And then you could go on with verse number eight and down. But he, he inserts here, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, he inserts what is important for the people to hear in this moment. He said, hey, hold on, hold on. Before we go any further as to what all it says, what faith says, what faith declares in the gospel, in the message of salvation, before we go all the way into that, don't forget, important note, say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? Or, or who shall ascend uh, into the deep? Hey, don't say, well, well who's going to bring God to us? Or who's going to raise him up so we have hope in him? Uh, listen, don't, don't go trying to figure out who is it that's going to do this. Or, listen, God's already got that taken care of. Well, who's going to bring our Messiah to us? God's already got it taken care of. Well, well who, who's going to make sure that, that, uh, that our Messiah is, is going to live forever and, we, and, he, and he's going to be raised up? By the way, you understand, Paul talks about the hope we have in Christ, that he is the first fruits of the resurrection, that because Christ is risen, we have hope. We have the, the ability to place our faith and hope in the fact that since Christ is risen, we too will not be held by the grave. We too will not be held by death. We too can be a risen individuals. It is, by the, by the way, baptism, baptism is, is a picture of what Christ did, death, burial, resurrection. It's a picture of what I am to, to be in Christ. I am to be dead to sin, but alive un, un, unto the Lord, unto God. And it's also a picture of what it is that I have hope in that, that will happen to me. Even if I die, I will be raised again with life eternal. Why? Because my hope is in Christ. But he's telling them, listen, you're, don't, don't get in your mindset, oh, well, hold on, you got to show me who it is that's going to go to God and bring our Messiah. No, don't ask that. You don't, you don't, don't focus. Who is it that's going to reach down and, and raise him? No, no. God's in control. He's already sent the answer. Here's, here's what he's trying to get to. You're looking for ways to figure it out before you faith it. 
Don't try to figure out before you faith. Just understand there's already an answer that's given. That's the gospel I'm giving you. And so now he goes in, now watch, he goes into the gospel declaration. As he comes from verse number seven, he goes into verse number eight, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now, he's not saying that they've already believed. He's not saying that they've already got it. They've already accepted it. What he's saying is you, you have heard it preached. The truth is right at your fingertips. And by the way, is it not, is it not indicative? Is it, does it not reveal uh, how many people are? They've heard the truth and the answer is right there, but they keep grasping at straws for everything under the sun and it's right there. Well, what am I supposed to believe in? It's right there. You've heard it. You, you've seen it. Yeah, I know, I know. I've heard all about how Jesus died on the cross. I've heard all about how he's buried. I heard all about how he rose again. I've heard all these things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's there. You just said it. Because it, I mean, it, it is surrounding you. Now, it's not been accepted within you, but it, I mean, it is there. You, you may, not, uh, might, may not be digesting it very well. It's more like you've got heartburn over it, but, but it's there. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. I mean, you, you, may, you may be kind of, kind of trying to reject it, but it's, it, it's trying to do a work. Uh, by the way, you can almost go back to the point now, what Paul's saying. That's what you're hearing. You're, you're, you're hearing the knock. And, 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 and you, you have a sense of what it is, and it's bothering you. And it's bothering but because you're trying to figure it all out and put all the pieces together before you accept it. You've got you to tell me, who is it that's going to bring God down or, or raise him up? You've got you to explain all. It's got to make sense to me, and then I'll accept it. He's like, no, no, no. This is righteousness by faith. You have to have faith in who it is that has already done the job. By the way, he's explaining what has already happened. Christ has already come. God has already sent his son. Nobody had to pull him down. He came on his own free will. And then nobody had to raise him up. He rose by his own declaration. The job has already been completed. It's already been done. The struggle by these individuals is uh, you, you, you've got to give me the intellectual understanding before I'll, I'll accept it. See, they like the law because the law had all the intellect built into it. You can know every piece of the law, and that somehow made you smart and made you capable of, of keeping it. When honestly, no, they, they, were, they were proud about how much they knew and the intellect they had of all the aspects of the law. But the law, they could put their hands on. Faith, they just can't seem to grab faith. It's just hard for me to... It can't be that easy. It can't be that simple. Does that not sound familiar? There are people even today that still struggle with the gospel because it can't be that simple. Just believing and accepting. Well, let's look at the, at the message of the gospel, okay? Um, uh, during, during here, the, 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 the declaration, verse number nine. So here's what it is. It says in verse number six, but the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. On what wise? Verse number eight said, but what saith it? It's 
It's nigh, it's even in thy mouth. Here's what it is. What is the, the, the word of faith which we preach? Verse number nine, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, now watch, he, he just hit all this buildup and all of this talking about stop relying on your intellect that's holding you back and start understanding it's not by the message of the law and intellect, it's by the message of faith and trust in God and what he has done. So he's built all this. Now he comes down to what is that word of faith which we preach? That word of faith is simply this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord, he doesn't say just the Lord, he says the Lord Jesus. Oh, there he goes. Gonna go pointing out this Christ again. You understand, he is the, the, the last, last verse of chapter 9 that we looked at. He's the stumbling stone on which they keep tripping over. And here he is saying, what is the message of faith? What is God's answer of the gospel for salvation? It is not in your intellect and ability to keep the law. It does not work for you. It will never work for you. It does not bring a righteousness that will satisfy a, all, a holy and all-knowing God. What is the only righteousness that satisfies a holy and all-knowing and perfect God? It's his own righteousness that satisfies nothing else. And it has to be imputed on my account. It has to be placed on my account. How do I get that? Very simple. Here's the word of faith, which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Two things they were struggling with big time. Number one, that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And number two, that he ever rose from the grave and it wasn't some kind of a hoax. Two things they're struggling with, that he was God in the flesh and that he actually rose from the grave. And he said, this message, which is of faith, comes from your confession that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the one that you have to accept and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. He's not, he's not dead, he is alive and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And until you're willing to accept that, it's, it's there, it's bugging you, it's bothering you, but until you accept it and confess it, you're not going anywhere. And so he, he is dealing with their pride issue again. The book of Romans is where Paul, Paul just keeps coming back and just, I mean, every time they think they're getting a break, here he goes again. It's kind of like that dentist that after he says, you know, you should be numb. And he Hits that nerve. 
You know, they're, they're, they're digging out in there. Can you feel that? No, of course not. I'm just acting like I'm in pain because I enjoy it. But that's what's happening. I mean, Paul's just, he keeps going back to that nerve. Why? Because until they can get past their issue with Jesus in order to accept him as their Messiah, they're never going to accept the gospel by faith. And so we see here the gospel declaration in verse 9 through verse number 14. I'll just, I'm going to read the rest of it, but let me just give you these four, the four layout. Here it is. Confession with the mouth, belief from the heart, confidence through the choice and opportunity given to all. That's the message, the gospel declaration. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. He's reassuring them right there. Hey, listen, you're thinking that if you receive Christ as your Savior, if you actually confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and, you're, and you admit that you believe that he died and was buried and rose again, and he is the Messiah, you're afraid that you're going to ha have to hang your head in shame, and you're going to have to walk away and, and act like a whipped dog because you've believed something now that you've been taught you, you shouldn't be believing, and you're afraid you're going to be ashamed. For the Scripture saith, now he... Here he is. Now he's, he's going to reassure them, not with his own word, but with the, with the very word of Scripture. He says, for the Scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. What are you waiting for? Why are you so afraid? Even Scripture declared you have no cause to fear being ashamed of placing your faith in the Messiah. And so as he builds this and as he looks at these different things and he points out there the, the confidence, the choice, you choose Christ and you're not going to hang your head. You choose Christ and you're not going to walk away in shame. You choose Christ and it's going to bring about a confidence. And then he goes on with the opportunity given to all, verse 12 and 13, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek that sounds familiar, right? He's been saying that quite a bit too. For the same Lord is rich, is over all, I'm sorry, same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Opportunity given to all. So what is the gospel in a nutshell? Confession with the mouth, belief from the heart, confidence through the choice, and opportunity given to all. And Paul declares that message of the gospel in contrast to the message of the law. You better keep it. You better, you better not slip up. You better be perfect. Now, don't get me wrong. 
Here's what some people will say, and I'm gonna hit the last two verses very quickly. Here's what some people will say. But that's the very point we try to make concerning you, you people who believe once saved, always saved. It, it, it's a cop out. You just believe that you can get fire insurance and then you can, do, you can live however you wanna live and God's just gonna be okay with you. No. Now, I do, I, I do believe that there are some people out there that that's the way they teach it. But they have to ignore a very large amount of the New Testament in order to teach that. Because over and over and over and over and over again, the Bible instructs as to what the child of God is expected to be by a holy God who is their heavenly father. How we are expected to live, the way in, the way in which he has instructed us to be light in the dark world and salt in a place that needs, that needs the savor of, of that which can preserve, which is the truth of the gospel. And, and therefore, the child of God is not free to live however they want to because no matter what, I'm saved and therefore I can, I can now live however I want because I've been forgiven and, and God's gonna be okay with it regardless. No. The question is not, do I keep or lose my salvation in how I live? The question really comes down to is, do I really want to stand before a holy, almighty God who forgave me of my sins and stand before him answering for why I acted and lived like a heathen when technically I was a born-again child of God? God does not take lightly those whom he has given much in the area of forgiveness, God does not take lightly the abuse of his grace by my life not being an example of what he has done in it. So some people say, well, you ought to, you ought to lose your salvation. That's just the way it ought to be. Well, you can feel however you want about how it ought to be. You got to take what the Bible says for what it says and what God gave us. And that is that uh, for whosoever shall call, call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and that he will give eternal life, everlasting life. You have to completely redefine what those words mean if you want to believe in partial or uh, every now and then salvation. That's a whole nother message. So I'm going to move on. But Paul is letting them know the opportunity is given to all. You will not be ashamed of placing your faith in Christ if you will just believe in your heart who he is, that he died, was buried, rose again, and you confess with your mouth, I believe he is Lord. And through that, may I say, I'll put it this way. Some people say, well, bless God. If you don't actually confess with your mouth, if you don't say with your mouth the words, then salvation does not happen. I will say this. When you believe in your heart and you do business with God, before you even make it to an altar or you make it to a bed or you make it to anywhere and stop and and, and physically at any time could say a particular prayer out loud. If, if you've already dealt with God in your heart, it's been settled. What is the confession of the mouth? Well, confession of the mouth is just a, it, as a whole. This is 
I'll give you my decorology on it as a whole because I don't have time to go into, in, into a whole bunch of other with it. But I will say this, confession of the mouth is just absolute proof that the heart has already accepted. If I'm not willing to speak it, then maybe I haven't actually accepted it. So my, my willingness to declare, by the way, look at the Jews. Look at who he's talking to. If they're not willing to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, Jesus Christ is Messiah, if, if they say, well, okay, I think I believe it. Paul's like, no, say it louder. I think I, I, think I, I, I can believe. Nope, nope. Confess openly. And don't just somewhat think it. Believe it wholly. Accept it wholly. Speak it loudly. And you won't be ashamed that you've trusted in the one true Messiah. And that's what he's trying to give them. The last couple of things, I, I'm, I'm done. Oh, here it is, okay? 13 and four, uh, uh, 14 and 15. 14 and 15, here it is. So the message of the gospel is in comparison to the message of, of, of the law and righteousness is of faith through Christ. The law, you can never accomplish it through your works. So here you, go, you got number, uh, verse 14 and 15 and here's what you get. You get the questions concerning the gospel in these two, all right? And, and I already explained a little bit how it's used when it comes to missions or soul winning, but... Um, but just listen to the questions. I'll give you these right here. Okay, so first, the, the first part of, of, of 14, 14a uh, is basically how shall they call without belief? 14b is how shall they believe without hearing? 14c is how shall they hear without, without a preacher? Uh, um, uh, 15a, the very first part of verse number 15, how shall they preach unless sent? And so these, let me, let me read 14 and 15 verses here um, for you and, and, and just Look at the questions presented concerning the gospel. So how then shall they call, and we're talking about the who's the they, the whosoever, Jew or Greek, doesn't matter. He already confirmed that in verse 12 and verse 13. It's open to all. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So believing in him is a, a mandatory thing. And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? Well, that's, uh, that's just kind of a, a common sense thing. There's a lot of people out there that have, matter of fact, Paul even ran, in, ran into them. They had, they had uh, uh, altars and statues and things uh, worshiping the unknown God. They didn't know who he was. They didn't, they didn't know that they had to believe in him. They knew that something out there existed. They knew there had to have been one out there, a great God that's probably greater than all the others, but they did not know who he was. And if you don't know who he is, you can't just say, well, I believe somewhere out there something is, is, is there that's bigger than all other things. Well, that doesn't count. It's good that you have that, that idea, but it is specific belief in who Jesus Christ is, the Son of God, who died and was buried and rose again, the only way of salvation. It is not a general belief of there's something out there. It is a specific belief of it is Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, how are they going to believe in whom they have not heard? And, uh, and it goes on to say, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Somebody's got to declare it. That word preacher does not mean a pastor. An evangelist. It just means a proclaimer. How shall they hear without a proclaimer? 
How are they going to hear without, you, you could put several things there. How are they, how can they, uh, they going to hear without a preacher? How are they going to hear without a Sunday school teacher? How are they going to hear without a soul winner? How are they going to hear without somebody, a missionary going to a foreign field? How are they going to hear without a Christian declaring the gospel? And then he says here, how, and how shall they preach except they be sent? So there are, there are people out there that are still waiting for someone to be sent their way, which is where the church comes in with missions. And it goes on, as it is written, here, here's an interesting note. We're going to stop right here. Um, I, I find this rather comical. I have a whole message, though, and we'll preach it maybe later, on uh, busy but not beautiful, based off of this right here. Um, and, and, but here, here's what it says. And as it is written, last part of verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now, we're not just talking about just any things. He's very, look at the context of what he's preaching and speaking on in this letter. He's talking about the gospel. What, what is um, the, the gospel of peace it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection. What else brings peace into the life of man? And what else is glad tidings of good things other than the fact that though you are lost and wretched and miserable, there is hope in Christ of forgiveness and, 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 and of salvation through the forgiveness and of righteousness on your account, all that you could not give yourself, God desires to give you through his son. What other glad tidings of good things would there be? So it's dealing with the gospel. But here's what I find interesting, and I, I'm, I'm gonna stop right here. The Holy Spirit leading Paul in, in this and writing this, Paul focuses in on what is typically an ugly part of the body. And he mentions this typically ugly part of the body as being beautiful when describing the ones who take the gospel to a lost world. There ain't nothing about my feet that I'm going to describe as beautiful. Now, some of you out there, uh, you might say you got beautiful feet. I'll just trust you on it, all right? I'm not going to go around and do foot inspections. Matter of fact, if we did foot washings, you ain't washing my feet. I'll wash my own, all right? That's just the way it is. But in this whole scenario, though, what, what, what is Paul saying? Even the most uncomely part, the part that gets... The, in their time, it got dirty, I guarantee you. If, if anybody had toe fungus, they probably had it. Ugly feet, dirty feet, all these. The feet were not the most beautiful part of an individual, and yet God said, if there is one, one thing that I love to see, one thing that is beautiful, it's the feet of those that will take the gospel to a lost and dying world. And that's, and that's where the gist of that message, I'll have to wait for a while before I preach it, but busy but not beautiful. It just, that's where the gist of the message comes from because in most areas of ministry, if we're not careful, we're real busy. 
but we're not being very beautiful in God's eyes. Why? Because we've got organizations, we've got structures, we've got this, we've got that, we've got, we've got plans here and we've got things going on, going on over there and we've got little helps here and little helps. But we're, if you're not careful, churches do a whole bunch of stuff and not much of it has anything to do with the gospel being given to the lost. So we're busy but in God's eyes, it doesn't equal beautiful. What equals beautiful is when he looks down and sees those that are taking the gospel to a lost and dying world and preaching and teaching and telling those that are in need of hope that there is a savior who came, who died, who was buried, who rose again, and who is seated at the right hand of the Father and who desires to give you forgiveness if you'll accept who he is, believe on him, and confess with your mouth that I'm a lost and, and Lord, I'm a lost and, and, and helpless sinner, but I believe who you are and I'll accept that you are the Savior. And Lord, I want you to be my Savior and forgive me of my sins. And when somebody learns that and follows through with that, I believe God looks down to the one who took the message and says, beautiful, beautiful feet. Oh, little feet, where are you going? If you're going in the way that God desires, he calls it beautiful. And so a lot of fun in that one. Glad to know that at least somebody can think my feet are beautiful. But it comes by the work that I do for him. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you so much.